Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind takes its title from a poem, Eloisa to Abelard, written by Alexander Pope early in the 18th century. Pope was taking inspiration from a true story that occurred some 600 years earlier, when a bright young student, Eloise d'Argentoy, fell in love with and secretly married her tutor, Pierre Abelard. Historical details make it difficult to say for certain how young Eloise was, but there was at least an 11-year gap between the two. Some records say Eloise was as young as 17, while others say she was 27. But either way, as soon as Eloise's uncle learned of the relationship, which had by then become marriage, he exacted the most brutal revenge by castrating Abelard. Distraught, Eloise became a nun, while Abelard himself became a monk. But soon thereafter, they began to write to one another, and it is there that Alexander Pope's poem interprets the relationship in order to make a very telling point about love, loss, and memory. The poem depicts Eloise as being so distraught that she would rather forget Abelard than remember the relationship at all, because it ended with their having parted. In other words, forgetfulness serves as a drug to numb her pain. How happy is the blameless vessel's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. I have another idea for this problem. This is a memory of me, the way you mm -hmm. wanted to have sex on the couch after you looked down on my crotch. What? Joel, the eraser guys are coming here, so what if you take me somewhere else, somewhere where I don't belong, and we hide there till morning? Man, I can't remember anything without you. So that explains the title. And while the theme of forgetting lost love, can we call it emotional amnesia? While that does percolate through the film's plot, the actual idea for the story itself came from a friend of the director, Michel Gondry. Pierre Bismuth is a French artist who specializes in appropriation art. Appropriation art is when an artist takes a pre-existing object and without altering it in any significant way, simply places the object in a new setting in order to provide it with a new meaning. Sort of like what Andy Warhol did with the Campbell soup cans, or Tracy Emin with her bed. What appropriation art suggests is that our understanding of an object depends on the context in which that object is situated. Now, I mentioned that because it was Bismuth's idea to tell a story where a man receives a notice in the mail telling him that someone he knows has just had all traces of him erased from their memory. Can we call this misappropriation art? Je ne sais pas. Or should that be je ne me souviens? With Bismuth's idea, Michel Gondry then approached Charlie Kaufman, who had been blazing a trail with marvelously original stories such as Being John Malkovich and Adaptation. Together, they charged off to collaborate on what turned out to be surely one of the most original, daring, fantastical, real, lucid and puzzling... Well, what is it exactly? I'd like to um, take you out or something. You're married. Not yet. Not married. No, I'm not married. Look, man, I'm telling you right off the bat, I'm high maintenance, so I'm not gonna 
tiptoe around your marriage or whatever it is you got going there. If you want to be with me, you're with me. Okay. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. What we have here is a film that is not all that easy to categorize. Is it a comedy? Yes, there are laughs, but the tone of the film isn't exactly light. It's not exactly dark either, so let's say it's overcast, which leans more in the direction of drama. Is it a drama? Certainly, it probes the difficulties about adult relationships, which brings it into the realm of romance. But is it romantic? Hardly. It's all about breaking up. Then it also has elements of sci-fi, only not in the sense of the Matrix. How about it's a hybrid? All of the above, but not quite enough of any one of them on its own either. How about this? It's a very quirky rom-com. More than that, it's a rom-comnesia. Sort of an affair you don't want to remember. Less when Harry met Sally, more when Harry forgot Sally. Or maybe it's a rom-com in reverse. The arc of a rom-com is boy meets girl, boy lights girl. They get on, they get off. They fight, they fall out. They realize and learn from their mistakes and overcome them and commit to one another. Eternal Sunshine has very little of that. Girl meets boy, they like one another, they break up and have their memories wiped. And then they meet, they like each other, they break up and have their memories wiped again. The vast majority of romantic comedies are very formulaic. They almost all follow a lot of rigid rules. The most notable rule is that rom-coms center around deception. You often have people pretending to be someone that they are not. From as far back as How to Marry a Millionaire and Some Like It Hot, through to Breakfast at Tiffany's and Charade, and on to Tootsie, Roxanne, Working Girl, Mrs. Doubtfire and You've Got Mail, it's all about deception. You have it in Shakespeare in Love, and of course Shakespeare himself had it running through many of his own plays. Is your lady beautiful? <clears throat> Since I, I, I came here from the country, I've not seen her close. Tell me, is, is she beautiful? Well, Thomas, if I could write the beauty of her eyes, I was born to look in them and know myself. So what is a play there? Well, the rom-com heightens the experiences a lot of us go through in the early days of falling for the one we truly love. We like someone, but we don't know if they like us. So, in our own little paranoid way, we decide that it's better to pass ourselves off as something we are not because, well, we feel inadequate. I fear that the real me won't quite measure up to what you want. Such a ruse runs its merry way from the opening minutes of a rom-com through all the ensuing confusion and on to the ultimate confession where I not only admit that I was lying but that I really like you and want to share the rest of my life with you. Look, you don't know me from Adam but I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. You know what I mean? I just gotta learn to do it without the dress. That's just one of the formulas. Another one is the love triangle, 
where one party is competing for the love of another person and they resort to all manner and schemes of tricks to, well, be really nasty and break them up. Just like in There's Something About Mary. That's a really difficult balancing act because if the story tips too far in one direction, we lose sympathy for the protagonist. So that's another formula. And I keep mentioning formula because, let's face it, before those particular films came along, it wasn't a formula at all. It only became a formula because people liked it, and people liked it because they saw that it worked. The danger there, however, is that adhering too much to the formula results in blandness that is anything but romantic and certainly not comedic. And who wants to end up with a partner who is neither of those? I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Now, I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. All great stories both adhere to the formula and also break it. Eternal Sunshine so broke open the rom-com formula that genius as it is, no picture has been able to follow its lead. Certainly, Fifty First Dates operates a similar conceit, but in terms of delivery, intention and execution, it is very, very far removed from Eternal Sunshine. Observe the way the films look. The rule for rom-coms is brightly lit scenes with vibrant colours. Eternal Sunshine goes in completely the opposite direction. More than that, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet look positively tired and worn out, like some of us do in real life. And yet, you could hardly call Eternal Sunshine realism. And so for once, the script adheres to a rom-com formula, because rom-coms are not about realism. All the great rom-coms violate the formula in some way, shape or form. You're supposed to keep it upbeat. Really? Well, how about the funeral in Four Weddings? You're supposed to get the characters together as soon as possible. Well, in Sleepless in Seattle, Annie doesn't meet Sam until the very end. You're supposed to keep the characters likeable. You can't have them do nasty things. How about My Best Friend's Wedding, where Julianne tries to break up Michael's engagement? Rom-coms are all about getting the characters together. Well, how about 500 Days of Summer, where it's all about dealing with the breakup? As I suggested, Eternal Sunshine might be a rom-com in reverse. Boy and girl meet, they like each other, they go out and they break up. But perhaps it is more than a rom-com in reverse. Maybe it's a rom-com on repeat. They have their memories wiped and yet they do it all over again. And for me, that is the most teasing thing about the film. And it is that tease which yet further violates the rom-com formula. Rom-coms must close on a note of certainty. And that note is happily ever after. Eternal Sunshine ends on a note of defiant ambiguity. Joel agrees with Clementine's belief that their relationship is doomed to repeat itself. And yet, they decide to give it another try. So we don't know whether they are fools for going back in, or are they being optimistic, going back in the hope that this time they get it right.
eternal sunshine of the spotless mind takes its title from a poem, Eloisa to Abelard, written by Alexander Pope early in the 18th century. Pope was taking inspiration from the true story 